I, Charles the Fourth, or is it the Third? Bloody man! We will strive for the detoxification of the Let me put it to you! Just a concrete. Yes, if you win by one, you've won. The throne went over the side. It is time to draw him I just think everyone should be sure. What the fuck is going on? Hello, I'm Mark Steele. Welcome to a very special green edition of my podcast where each week I ask the question, what the fuck is going on? What the fuck is going on? I am sat in a a beautiful little cafe by a garden that we were going to try and record this uh, episode of what the fuck is going on in in the garden for reasons that become clear would have been absolutely apposite but the signal didn't get out there is that's probably a little a little symbol of something isn't it we wanted uh, we wanted to be out there in the environment but uh, i don't know technology wouldn't allow us to but we're now in a cafe uh, at some point someone is going to come up and talk near us i would imagine and that will be a vague nuisance but in the great scheme of global catastrophes or potential global catastrophes that we're talking about probably isn't quite as bad as the destruction of the rainforest, is it? Well, this is the pinnacle, really, of the quest to find out what the fuck is going on, because I, I, so many guests I've had, and I, every time I've, I've said, you can't, you can't pursue this question without knowing, without expert advice, and then I introduce someone who clearly isn't an expert and has no more clue than me, and... If you wanted an expert anywhere in the world to know, or indeed in the universe, you couldn't do better than Caroline Lucas. Oh, Mark. Thank you. It's a well, you really do know what what is going on. Yeah, I mean, even, I, I'll be honest, I'll look at some of the things and I think that you've written about the uh, fossil fuels and sustainable energy. And I think, I'll be honest, I think, I'm sure she knows what she's talking about. <laughs> I haven't got a clue what any of that means. No, that's, that's a damning indictment on my... Um, no, no, isn't that a marvellous way to start? Do you know what? I haven't got a fucking clue what you're about, yeah, exactly. but I'm sure it's very good. Yeah. No, that's... No, I'm... I'm let, let me, it, I it's me. I can tell you what I'm about, though. Right. Just since you... Can we get, we'll get to that in a, yeah. in a bit. Okay. First of all, all right, the first thing, how, how, now this is, uh, when you're a comic, you get asked all the time a really, really daft question, which is how did you get started as a comic? And it's never interesting. <laughs> and so I'm going to learn from that. How did you become a Green Party member and then MP? Those are two very different questions, I suppose. What led you into the Green Party? A book that I read in 1986 called Seeing Green by Jonathan Porritt. And it was a fantastic book, um, and it put together all the different things I was concerned about. I was very active in CND at the time. I was getting up at God knows what time in the morning to get on buses to go to Greenham Common, oh, to right. Molesworth, or to you know right. anywhere one could uh, object to uh, U.S. nuclear weapons on on our soil. And so I was really involved in that. I was mounting concern about the environment, uh, very involved in the women's movement, and it all felt like it was all different, all being pulled in different directions. And then this book by Jonathan Porritt made all of the connections between those things and put them together in a kind of political package and, and, and with a whole set of solutions. So it was looking at causes, not just symptoms. And it was at that moment when I thought, yep, yeah, I want to be I want to be part of the Green Party because he was writing it from a Green Party perspective. 
And I turned the book over and it said the Green Party office was based in the Clapham High Road. Well, I was sitting in a really grotty bedsit in Clapham at the time. So I thought, this wow. is serendipity. So I marched up and down the Clapham High Road looking for a lovely big building with a plaque on the wall, which would no doubt be the Green Party office. And I eventually found a tiny little room on top of a Chinese restaurant, I think it was. Um, and that was the Green Party. But I signed up there and then. That's amazing. So if you'd been in Wilsden or some other bit of London, <laughs> it, never <would> have happened. <laughs> it never would have happened, which is what, you know, what we would call serendipity. Other people might say it was a, a, a <laughs> sign from the good Lord. It would have happened. It would have just <laughs> taken longer. It would have taken uh, It's funny, that, but that is very... Uh, well, I think anybody who has a life that is uh, involved in political campaigning has that moment, don't they, when they go, I'm cross about this and I'm cross about that and I'm cross about that. Oh, my God, these things are all connected I mean my very good friend who you, I know you know Jeremy Hardy used to have a lovely yeah. line about that about liberal minded people who go there are all these different things and they all make me cross and they never saw a go I wonder if there's a connection between <laughs> any of them and uh, that's that yes. was your moment that, I mean there have been whatever you're ever if you're I don't know if you're Malcolm X or something will have had will have been cross about the fact that his mother's House was a tat that he, that she couldn't get the insurance because the insurance company fit all the things that happened, you know, the black people were attacked in the area and so on. And then eventually gone, no, there is a connection between all of them. And uh, the solution is obviously to join the nation of Islam, which, you know, you and I might take issue with on various matters. But there's something that says these things are connected. And that was your moment for that. That was my moment of recognising there was a capitalist, exploitative, extractive economic system that was, you know, meaning that we are really wrecking the planet and by putting profit above everything else, we're also wrecking human relations. And yeah, it just seemed to join all of those things up. So um, that, that was a real light bulb moment. That was quite, uh, that was probably a bit of an unorthodox turn to make in, in the mid 80s, wasn't it? I would have thought. Because that was sort of the Labour Party would have used, would have generally been where people would have gone at that time, wouldn't it? When, you know, a couple of years after the miners' strike, the Labour Party membership was growing. I might have misremembered that. I don't know, but... I guess they weren't challenging the economic system very much. They were certainly challenging how the fruits of that economic system were going to be divided up. Um, but they weren't particularly looking at what is the motor of our economies and what damage is it doing to, in, in the first instance, to the environment... Um, and and to so much else as well. How did you get from there to being uh, to being an MP then? Because I think it, that is to me it's it, it's because it, the political system is so in this in Britain is so weighted against somebody becoming a member of Parliament, winning an election, as you have done three times, four times. Four times. Uh, in Brighton, so I'm on the ball, aren't I? It's like Laura <laughs> Coonsberg. Check that. <laughs> so that is so. It's so difficult because you don't have to just get a credible vote. You have to win. It's like I don't know. Always use a sporting analogy, but that is that is so difficult to win out of everybody against two or two and a half. You might say very established political parties that go back to Disraeli or Ramsay MacDonald or who's the other one? Gladstone. Uh, but to beat all of them, that's 
It was an amazing moment. And you're right, the whole system felt like it was stacked against small parties, uh, any small party really. But for the Greens, you know, we didn't have any independent finance. You know, money was coming from our members. Uh, we had a national media that was singularly disinterested in what we were saying. Um, and then you've got, as you say, the firepower of, of the bigger parties who, who uh, bring that to bear. So it was an absolutely extraordinary moment. And, and I just want to pay tribute to everybody who for decades has been banging on about Green Party policy and being on the doorsteps and, and building up to that moment because it really did feel like it was a moment where, you know, the whole party won something. You know, loads of people came down to Brighton to help me win here. You know, once we realized that Brighton was our best hope, um, then it, it just became the overwhelming priority for the party. And, and you know, I'll, I'll never forget that that election night. It was just so special. Just that feeling that we had asked people to put their faith in a whole new political system. And they bloody did it, you know, which was just extraordinary. Well, I think, because I, I think that if Brighton has an image, doesn't it? And it's like, you know, I, I, this is something I've done for the last 12 years or so, is go round to the, is go round the towns of Britain, really looking at the, at the image of the place. Yeah. You know? And uh, what I love about every town you go to is that to a certain degree, it's true. The, the, the image is true. If you go to, I don't know, like we did Newport in South Wales last year, big grimy. I think the, the opening line of it, which as I was doing it, I was thinking, oh, can I say this? It was the lovely thing about Newport is it was a town built on the grime and squalor of the mines and the docks. And now the mines and docks have all gone, but somehow the grime and squalor still here. I don't know how you've managed that. And then they all, they all clap, right? So, <laughs> so that, there is a certain, it, there's a, it's an image of it being a very working class traditional place where everybody fights sort of Saturday night. And then I went down there on a Saturday night and there was fights everywhere <laughs> in the street. And of course, a terrible bit of me thinks, oh, perfect. <laughs> now, of course, that is not the whole town. Similarly, the image of Brighton, I've heard people very frustrating. Oh, yes, well, the Green Party would do well in Brighton, of course, because they're all members of the, you know, I don't know, something liberal, vegan, whatnot, all of that. But that's, it was much harder than, than that, wasn't it? Just tapping into that corner of Brighton. Exactly. I mean, as you say, there, there's, there's certainly a, a part of Brighton that is very, um, progressive and, and the, you know, the, the, the liberal, Tag is something that, that, that people would be very happy to have. And it's, um, you've got, you know, the universities, you've got lots of young people, you've got a huge LGBT, uh, plus community. You know, there is all of that there. But if you only relied on those votes, you wouldn't get over the line. And we knew, for example, when it came to Bright Pavilion, there are three wards in the north of the constituency that traditionally vote conservative. And we were going to have to work really hard in those Patchen? areas. Patcham, Wisdom, um, uh, Hollingbury. And, and we knew that we were going to have to work really, hard up there and so for two years before the election you know we were out night after night in those places talking to people trying to understand what they cared about um yeah it was it was an amazing thing so that's yeah because i mean i've i've sort of very uh, rather pathetically made an attempt to sort of i don't know why but uh, we're probably at the opposite ends of the spectrum here i'm just realizing i stood for election once it was utterly utterly pointless which i would in fact Oh, for the Socialist Alliance in 2001. In fact, I would like to apologise <laughs> to the 1,700 people who voted for having wasted their vote. I so wish I, I could go back in time, apart from killing it and things like that. I would also like to to go around, find the names of those 1,700 people 
would say, please vote for someone else. Yeah. I, <laughs> and uh, my favourite moment, moment in that in the campaign was I was stood outside Croydon College and this uh, two of the... And I, I, I did think, what are we doing here? They're not even old enough to vote, but, you know, all right. And then one, <laughs> one of these sort of lads come out with his mate and he had a look at this leaflet and he went, raw, this is that, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he went, I'm with all this, bro. He says, I'm going to vote for you. And his mate went, you're, you can't vote, you know, you're like, you need to be 18, you're only 17. And he goes, I can get around that, bruv, I've got connections. <laughs> <laughs> I can get well, around that, bruv, I've got connections. <laughs> my favourite moment. Didn't I love it? that. I mean, there's someone was willing to think about that when it came to voting. It's fantastic. But of course, we've got a government now that's trying to stop people voting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The bloody ID stuff and... But you, um, but to to go to those areas and go and uh, yeah, no, that's the point I was going to make. So, what I think so much of the far left has failed miserably to do is understand you can't just turn up, shout, and expect people to go, "Oh yes, they're good," because they're saying the things I think. You've got to prove that you're going to be there for a long time. You know, stuff that I could never be bothered to do. <laughs> <laughs> mixture of laziness ego wanting to watch the cricket but um but you yeah so with two years of sort of going round and round to these places and that makes because you hear people all the time saying oh i'll tell you what they come round, you know fair play to them yeah yeah no i think i think the, the key is to come around when it's not election time as well as yeah, when yeah, it is. yeah yeah because otherwise you know people are rightly cynical thinking yeah, yeah they're only after our vote so what we did for those two years was literally having conversations and listening, which is, you know, quite a novelty for a politician to actually listen to what people were saying, as well as telling them what we thought. Um, and that really helped to shape the campaign and, and to make sure that we were covering off some of those real concerns that, that people like in Patcham have. For example, many of them feel that everything in Brighton is focused on the city centre and that's where right. all the resource goes, that's where all the attention goes. And meanwhile, people that are that little bit further out from the city centre feel that their communities are simply forgotten. So You need immense patience as well, though, don't you? Because you must... I should imagine lots of times when you're knocking at the doors, people go, yeah, what are you after? Would you want politicians all the same? There's a bit of that. There's maybe less of that in Brighton than in most other places, I think, because I think people here just are actually really interested in politics, which is which makes right. door knocking a lot more interesting. Um, so, in fact, I would say that, that sometimes it's actually more difficult to get away from people because they really want to bring up something else that they want to talk about, and you're saying, "Yes, yes, that's enough. Thank you, thank you. I've got to get, I've got to get oh, to the next doorstep." Um, yeah, I, did I think that. People... It, it, there was one election. Actually, it was it was uh, 2015. I went round on the day before election day, round a bit of Croydon with, with the Labour Party. 2015, no, 20, I don't know, 2017. And uh, there was one bloke wanted to talk to me. He went, oh, Mark Steele. And I said, hello, mate. And he went, oh, yeah, no, I've seen you down the palace at the football. Uh, I said, all oh, right, have you? He said, how do you reckon the season's going to go? And I was there for about <laughs> half an hour with him. And, and all these other people were going, I'm sure you've convinced him by now. And I thought, oh, no, I didn't. <laughs> I, I could be the most useless politician. I would manage to get, I would manage to go to the safest seat in the country and, and lose it. And lose it, yeah, to, I don't know. To a, a candidate from from a Peruvian party, um, but yeah, I, but you must. I, 
I mean, I've seen you with people in Brian Carolina, very, uh, you know, people who come up and go, oh, what's, what about my fucking rubbish and all that? And you're immensely patient with them. And I think so much of the left, I see so many people on the left who just sort of shout and hector at people and that, and think, well, I think I've convinced them when these poor people are now signing up for a course of therapy for, or, <laughs> for, or going to some post-traumatic stress charity or something. I mean, I, I, th I think that when people are angry, there's usually a good reason for their anger. And, and if you can sort of bear with it and get to the crux of it, then quite often you can, you can dispel it and, and connect to what it is that makes people so angry. And sometimes they are really very rightly angry. You know, their bloody rubbish hasn't been collected for about six weeks. And why is that yeah. happening? And when they try and phone up the council, they can't get through. And, you know, you, you can really understand why when someone does come up to them and say, you know, what would you like to talk about? <laughs> they tell you in no uncertain terms. Yes, I think I think the sort of far left groups I've been if someone talks about that would be quite an interesting conversation if they tried to be a councillor or something, <laughs> because they would be wanting to talk about the rubbish, and then the person on the left would be going, would tell them an anecdote about when the way the rubbish was collected in the Spanish Civil War, and if if only if only the if only the Republicans had been more radical, Franco could have been beaten or something. And um, but you have to earn the right to have that other conversation, don't you? By, yeah, by yeah, addressing yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think it was, it was, there's a, there's a, a term for it, wasn't it? It was like gas and, gas and water socialism or something that I think I might be wrong here. So often I say something on this and then someone writes in and tells me I'm completely wrong. But I think it was sort of termed by maybe the Communist Party or something in the 1930s and they were deriding the Labour Party as being for gas and water socialism. Mm. And I always thought, well, that doesn't make sense because if someone wants to talk about the, the gas and water problems, you've, you've got to address yeah, that, yeah. can't you? You know, telling them about the yeah, Russian Revolution. Plus. Yeah. <laughs> plus the revolution. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I think you're still, it's, I think you're still underplaying it really because it's, it's, it's such a difficult, it, it, it's such a difficulty to get a base. Presumably you had to get a base amongst enough people and you have to get to a point. This is the, uh, this is the key thing, isn't it? With this electoral system, you have to get to a point where people think you can win because you can probably get a few, you'll get a few hundred protest votes and so on. And people, well, I'm voting for them regardless yeah. of whether I think they can win or not because I believe in them. But yeah. then to, You've got to get to a point where, where people think you can actually win. Otherwise, they'll think, well, I'm going to waste my vote here. Yeah. I mean, that is why I need to pay tribute as well to the, the councillors here in Brighton, who for many, many years have been building up the number of council seats that they had. So by the time I was standing for election in 2010, you know, the majority of wards within the pavilion constituency were already green. And therefore, you could really make the case that, that this constituency is already a majority green if you look at the way people vote at the local election and then it's about that kind of leap of faith that well if enough of people actually vote for what they want to then we can translate that same local support into national support and that's the trick that's the difficult thing because of this abominable undemocratic archaic dreadful electoral system mm. um and you know if we had a different voting system we could easily have 20 30 green mps maybe yeah, yeah. more um, and I think one of the most depressing things is, <laughs> is to have seen all of the fantastic energy that went into the Labour Party to try to get them to come up with a different, um, 
uh, to support a different voting system at their conferences. And so they, you know, loads of people work really hard. They work with the unions. They got it over the line at the last party conference to say that the Labour Party would support proportional representation. And then Keir Starmer turns around and says, over my dead body, it's not going in the manifesto, which is... So has he said that for definitely now, then? Well, that's what he said. That's and probably quite a good thing, because he does tend to go back on everything right. two weeks later. Yeah. Okay. So you've got... Yeah. So <laughs> if he keeps going back on it every two weeks, you've just got to hope the election <laughs> the right bits at the right time. <laughs> but I hope so, because it's so short-sighted, not just because, you know, smaller parties like the Greens would do better under that system, but because... People will be more motivated to vote because like in loads of places that you'll have been visiting, I'm sure people have been saying to you, you know, why would I bother to vote? Because the same person gets in, the same party gets in time and time again. So you'd engage more people in the voting process. And actually, it's in Labour's own interests. If you crunch the numbers, as many have, mm. you know, perhaps not when they're like 20 or 30 points ahead. But if they are serious about a long term program of transformation. They're going to need more than one term. And therefore, it is stunningly short-sighted not to change the voting system such that they all would be more likely to win their second term, because they certainly won't be that many points ahead when they've been in government for a term. Nobody ever is. So if he's serious, if Keir Starmer is serious about a long-term program of transformation, and maybe he's not, but if he were, then again, it would be so much in their interest to change that voting system. Because in Britain, we have a majority who want to vote for, broadly speaking, progressive parties. And yet we get the bloody Conservatives time and again. Why do you think Labour didn't make more of that issue when Jeremy Corbyn was leader? Because I, I, would, I would have thought, when he became leader, I thought, well, that's something that he would make a priority. Well, at risk of having loads of people writing and getting really cross with me, as they do. Oh, yeah, they will. Um, <laughs> I, I, I worked really well with, with Jeremy uh, and had done for years up until the point when he was um, made leader of the opposition, at which point an incredible tribalism came in. And I'm not saying it was necessarily from him directly, but it was certainly from people around him. And that tribalism meant that it was bloody impossible even just to speak to him for, for a couple of years. I mean, he, you know, he speaks to me now and everything's fine. But for that period when he was leader of the Labour Party, when he could have done more, I was persona non grata. You know, I'm just, just no way was he even going to speak to me. Maybe he was just busy. I no doubt he was very busy, but he had quite a lot of time, <laughs> you know. And uh, I, th I wondered whether he might say, are we off you a, if we get in, we'll make Caroline Environment Secretary or something like that. But that was... I think that tribalism was really deep, really, really deep. I've Well, in Brighton, you get a huge sense of that, probably more than any... Well, no, definitely more than anywhere else, because I mean, there was one there was one election down there. I've never really... I've briefly joined the Labour Party for, for a few months, but although they tried... They, they said I, I couldn't... thrown you out. No, no, now. they didn't. Well, they... Yeah, uh, yeah, maybe. I can... Oh, I hope so, because the administration is too <laughs> much... Out of Labour for just retweeting me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's ah no. That well, yes. In whenever it was when Jeremy Corbyn became leader, twenty fifteen. So I applied to join the Labour Party at that point, and uh, I remember this so well. I was up in Edinburgh on the first day of the festival, or in fact, it was the day before the first day of the festival. And I was in the theatre where I was going to be for the next four weeks, you know, part of this, you know, great big adventure I'm about to have. And I just sort of was doing a little tech run and all that sort of thing. And then I just sort of looked at me emails and I got an email from the Labour Party saying, we have refused your membership uh, <laughs> because you do not, uh, you do not follow the values and aims of the Labour Party. 
And so I just, in, I was so cross, I thought, well, I'm just going to put that on Twitter. I'll just put, you know, look what I've just got. And I knew what had happened, right? So within about an hour, there was thousands of people. And then I had like various people ringing me. Yeah. And Radio PM program from Radio 4 rang. They rang. I said, would you come on this afternoon? So I went down to the sort of BBC studio in Edinburgh. And I sat there with this, I can't remember who it was. It was the presenter. And they said, um, well, uh, one of the, the two reasons you don't follow the values and aims, and the other reason that you could have be you could be refused membership is that you are a member of a rival organisation. She said, "Are you a member of any other organisations?" I said, "Well, I am a member of Riley's Snooker Club in Croydon, <laughs> and uh, so I don't know if it's that. I mean, it's possible that the Labour Party are un have been misinformed and think that the Riley's Snooker Club are going to stand candidates against them." Um, and but she wasn't having it. This BBC woman. No, but Mark, if we could be serious about it, what? And then of course I couldn't help it. I was going. I think it's probably the snooker club. I don't know. And then uh, so there I was, given my chance to make a political point, and I blew it. But but that was uh, yeah, not not following the values. And I oh, and then I yeah, I, no. And I think I said I tried really hard to invade Iraq, but I just didn't have the time. And that obviously. <laughs> burnt all the bridges and eventually I got sent something can't remember where that it was because I'd done a benefit for the Green Party here that was the oh reason that they God really mm, in I don't know five years earlier oh, no, you had you did it I remember mm, did it at the Theatre Royal yeah in the run up to my 2010 election yeah for which many thanks and I hadn't yeah, realized thanks. that the consequences of that were going to follow you around and yeah yeah well, it probably saved me eight pound a month or whatever. The <laughs> so I probably made probably the only time I've done a benefit where I've ended up financially rewarded myself. Well, you're very welcome to join the Greens. We'd love to have you. Totally on board. It's uh, but that but the tri right. So uh, one the, the Ed Miliband election. I remember. So I wasn't a member anyway there, and I. I think I went round with uh, some Green Party people in the in your constituents in the pavilion, which are just so ridiculous that the Labour Party targeted it. Why would? What's the point of that to make your seat a target for? Yeah, there's there's just no point, and 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 that is kind of what I mean by the tribalism. And um, there was a, a a real move that, that a number of us were involved in around the idea of a progressive alliance. In other words, some kind of conversation between those parties on the centre and the left to have some kind of way of of working together under this horrible electoral system such that we wouldn't keep standing against each other and letting the Tories in again and again. I mean, it didn't happen here, thankfully, but it happens in plenty of other places around the country. Um, and it was just so depressing that there was so little interest in doing something like that. Because but Green Party... Branches can do that as well, though, can't they? Because so in Kemp Town, if the, the we stood down in Kemp Town for for the Labour Party, we for, for Lloyd Russell Moyle in, in yes. Kemp Town, so we did stand down there, but it was hardly reciprocated anywhere. Um, and and but that was a model of what can happen. Um, there, there are other examples in in, uh, in in Oxfordshire where we didn't stand in Oxford Western Abingdon. Um, Leila Moran and Lib Dem got in. And in return, there are a number of places um, at local level where the Lib Dems didn't stand. Now, I, you know, I know what people are thinking. They're thinking, you know, why, why are people kind of stitching stuff up? It's not democratic. 
And I would just simply say, you know, it's certainly not ideal, but under this electoral system, certainly at a national level, that unless we do something like this, we are never going to get the fair voting system, which will mean that we will tackle the climate crisis in time, that we will address people's absolutely appalling cost of living crisis that is really hurting so many people. I can't bear the fact that I just said cost of living crisis, because it's not a crisis, it's a scandal. It's a scandal because it's not happening by accident. It's happening because this government doesn't care enough to make sure that people who are better off actually support those that are less well off. It doesn't want to do that. So it's really hammering some of the poorest. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, no, well uh, obviously a sense of frust frustration. I, uh, what? <laughs> I mean, especially when it's on cli climate change, the stakes are fairly high. One, you know, one day aliens will come down to a completely uninhabited planet and they'll go, I don't understand this. If the Green Party and the Labour Party had come to some arrangement, then maybe the planet <laughs> wouldn't have been maybe fried. Some of the people might have survived. Yeah, it's it's just on so many levels. Those aliens are just going to be absolutely bloody gobsmacked. On why do you so think? Much. Why do you think that? Uh, I mean, what do you sort of feel in your soul, if you like, about? I don't know, the sort of the oil companies that fund misinformation to say that climate change either isn't happening or is it's all just part of a natural process or or indeed those people who go who say there's no point in trying to tackle it because what we do doesn't make any difference because in China and India these people are using uh are using petrochemicals so so but so on and so forth to get to to enrich themselves and who are we to stop them? All the excuses. That, that must be, when you're as aware as you are and you're, and it's so central to your life, that must be so, must be quite annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is utterly enraging. You ask what I think about the oil companies. I think they are climate criminals. And I think possibly even worse, we have a government that is aiding and abetting them. I mean, I just want to give one example around the, um, the Rosebank oil field, which government is likely to give the green light to any minute, you know, probably right. next week. And this Rosebank oil field is the largest undeveloped oil field in the North Sea. And if it were exploited, it would produce the same amount of emissions as the 28 lowest income countries put together. That's 700 million people. And this oil isn't even for people in the UK. It is, by and large, for export. Over 90% of it is for export. So it's certainly not going to help us here with any kind of energy security. It's not going to bring prices down because it gets sold at international prices on global markets. And to add insult to injury, if that were not enough, British taxpayers are going to end up paying £3.75 billion to the Norwegian company Equinor, who are going to be the ones who are going to be exploiting this field, because Rishi Sunak's economic subsidy system for fossil fuels means that they get this massive, massive grant, basically, a, a, a tax rebate worth 3.75 billion. So this is going to fry the planet. It's going to completely destroy any vestige of climate leadership, which this country is supposed to be showing. Um, and it doesn't help us in one small way. It actually makes people poorer. It makes our energy security worse. And it fucks the climate. I mean, <laughs> what, is, what is going on? <laughs> yes, well, we, 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 uh, that's why we're here, to find out. Uh, the... Um, it's part of the problem. I'd say part of the part of the problem with, with energising people to sort of uh, campaign in whatever way about a particular issue is there's the issue and the injustices around it, but then there's the possibility of change. So if someone announces a local swimming pool is going to close down, you can 
it's even that's hard. But if you can convince people that right, if we get enough people to to campaign about it, or the campaign which uh, which the group I was enormously helpful to that I was so involved in uh, in uh, Hove Park becoming yeah. an academy, yeah, whenever that was eight or nine years ago, and my next wife was brilliant. Yeah, with. and. Um, but that it seems so hard. Even that seems so hard. But after six months uh, with huge support across the city, it won, and it's prevented from becoming an academy. But if it takes that much effort to stop a school being sent into an academy, stopping oil companies internationally from taking three point seven five billion pounds from the uh, from in order to exploit. A North Sea oil field, it seems such a massive hurdle. But I think it can just make people paralyzed and go, what can we do? I, I understand that. And I think a lot of that explains, you know, some of the tactics that we're seeing from some of those campaign groups that have, you know, lost patience with, with knocking politely on the doors of government and, and are now, you know, taking more, more direct action. Um, but people, you know, I, I think it just suits government for people to conclude there's nothing that they can do about things. And, and people can always change things. Even the biggest things in the past we've managed to change, you know, all the, all the big ones around women's votes or, apartheid or whatever else. And I know people always point to those, but you know, the biggest danger is for people to think that they can't change things. And if we make this a big enough political issue, and if we make it clear enough that the Tories will be out if they even go anywhere close to this, there is still a chance of changing things. There's always a chance of changing things. But I agree, it's, it's tough. It is tough. And it's tough when it's, you know, it's out in the middle of the North Sea, off, you know, off the Shetland Islands. It doesn't feel like it's somewhere where you can even go and hold your placard like you do outside Hove Park. You know, it's, yes. it's tougher. It's certainly tougher. But the decisions are being made by our government. The decisions are being made by the Energy Secretary Grant Shapps with the blessing of the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. So we know who are making these decisions and they, we know where they're based and we can focus on those. And it is connected as well to energy prices. No doubt. The energy companies are not particularly popular. I'll just say we're in a ca we're in a cafe in Brighton, and so, some people in Brighton. I mean, I know Caroline's paid tribute to the people of Brighton, but some but of them have noisy. the audacity. Yeah, they've had that <laughs> sheer audacity to come into the cafe while we're in here and to talk near us. I've gone off Brighton. I've been, I've been a fan for years. <laughs> Yeah, so they're not they're not the most popular they're not the most popular people. Energy companies and water companies are probably in in a very very exciting race as a sports fan. I'm very keen on this to see who is most hated. And the energy companies treble the bills. The water companies go, we can top that. We'll just completely fill the sea with turds. And the energy companies, oh well, we'll come back. We'll actually put the prices up even more, even though our costs have gone down. And uh, Thames Water have now managed oh, to become... God. You couldn't make it up, could uh, yeah. you? I mean, like, with water, like, they don't even have to pay for the water coming out the sky. It just comes out of the sky. And they had a monopoly. So this is a very weird privatisation where there was absolutely no competition. So even if you believed that privatisation was a good idea, usually you believe that because you think there's going to be some competition. There's absolutely no competition. And yet what they've done is just to load up those companies with so much debt and they've not invested in the infrastructure and they have really screwed the customer over in terms of not even providing water if you live in the, in the southeast region where they're not even putting water out the taps at the minute. Uh, sewage in the seas, as you say, massive bills, 
Um, it, 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 is, it just stinks. It's just a perfect example of everything that is wrong with this system. It's amazing, isn't it? It actually reminds me of talking there, because Southern Water, uh, the people who yeah. provide or don't provide the water around here, and they are, I, I, I had my own thing with them. When they sent me, I did it in the show, but they sent me a bill for £1,300, and it was almost impossible. It took, it took far more than £1,300 worth of labour to... to <laughs> Battle and battle and battle them to make them realise this clearly was a mistake. And um, but you know there was a, there was a, a joke people used to tell uh, in Soviet Russia when they go, oh, Soviet, uh, the Soviet Union took over the Sahara Desert. And three days later, there was a shortage of sand. And that <laughs> and, and that's that's the water companies. It's Britain. It's there's water everywhere. I don't know. We've lost all the water. I don't know how we've done it. Anyway, you have to pay more because now we've got to find some water. Maybe we can get some imported from Somalia. It's like 900 Olympic swimming pools worth of water a day that is just being leaked because they haven't bothered to, to, to mend the pipes even. I mean, right. It's just outrageous. Right. Yes. Well, we're all, we're all, we're all, uh, we're all agreed on, on that. Now, but you're standing down as an MP. Caroline. Well, I'm not. Yeah, exactly. The next election, I, I won't, I won't stand again after. After what will then be 14 years, probably. Yeah. There's not a Nicola Sturgeon type thing coming around the corner, is there? It turns out that you've secretly been organising Formula One driving. Damn, there's a big tent on my, outside my house. Um, <laughs> it's 80% of the shares in Exxon. <laughs> this is not true, people. This is not true before you take to your, uh, to your Twitter. Um, no, I mean, it, it, it is a difficult decision, but, you know, as the only... MP, I just have to do everything. And, and there's a limit to how sustainable that is. And I feel so driven by the nature and climate emergencies. I mean, those are big enough issues. And yet, you know, I spend two days a week on constituency work. And that's really important. You, you know, you need someone who's totally dedicated to all of that constituency work, you know, helping people get their visas or mm. helping people access, you know, the funding that they're due from the Department for Work and Pensions because they've messed that up again. Or, you know, there's just a million things that, that come over your desk as a, as a constituent MP. So I spend two days a week easily doing that. And then, and then when I'm at Westminster, I just have to do everything. I'm the front bench spokesperson on everything from the education to the economy to the NHS and so on. And it's just exhausting. So I'm really hopeful that this seat will remain green and that we'll have another green MP here. But I want to try and find ways that I can focus more on, on what is the existential threat of our time? What is the thing that gets me out of bed every morning, which is this massive, well, on the one hand, both the massive threat that we face, but also, conversely, all of the opportunities, if only we'd recognize that you know, green energy is cheaper energy, it's got more jobs, you know, it's not rocket science. So to try and do more on those issues are the ones that I really care about. And that's, but, it, but yeah, but it must be exhausting because, uh, I, 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 well, I can sort of imagine but I would imagine, because you sort of, I know what there's some people, and I have great sort of, uh, you know, I tend to sort of think about it, I tend to try and see the good in everybody, but I can imagine it must be so. When you hear sort of people complaining about politicians, and I said that, now there's a thing, there's, it's generally seen as being a sort of act of rebellion to complain about politicians. But I, I find, I resist that really, because... Unless you're sort of complaining about a specific sort of politician, that can actually be very cynical and quite a right-wing point of view, can't it? To just go, all politicians are on the take. But that yeah. clearly isn't the case. Clearly yeah. not all politicians around the world. Yeah. 
are I've, just in it for themselves. That just doesn't make any sense. I, I, that's exactly right. And of course, we can we can list the ones that we think that are, and I'm not denying that for a second, but I do think it's really corrosive if people lose any kind of confidence in the kind of governance at a national level, which is why I get so angry by things like, you know, everything that Boris Johnson has done and Jacob rees more basically, you know, egging him on and then defending him and all of that. Because not only is that... Caroline, when you're sat there in the House of Commons, right, and there's Boris Johnson... And well, I don't necessarily keep feet my... away, and he's yeah. going, hey, well, it wasn't, I wasn't at the parties, but you were, but you were, you've seen the picture. No, yeah, but I'm going yeah, to investigate you. Do you not... I feel furious. Get fucking <laughs> drunk. Ah! <laughs> very, well, very And then you'd be thrown out. And then you'd be thrown out for two weeks or, or more. Uh, yeah. No, but I, I, some of the points where I have been most angry in, in Parliament have, have, have cut through a little bit. You know, there's that bit when he was lying down, practically, mm. during a debate in... Oh, Jacob Rees-Mogg. Yeah, this was yeah, Mogg, yeah. Not, not, not Boris. Um, and being able to really call that out or to rip up that hideous illegal migration bill, because it is just so disgusting. And to do that in front of Suella Braverman and just say, you know, this is utterly disgusting and should not be on our statute book. And anybody with a shred of moral integrity would not vote for this for this really disgusting bit of, of, of They like you, though, don't they? What, what gives well, you that I, impression? Well, like, I think that I've sort of heard a number of them. I don't know if, it, if, it's, if it's a compliment to you. Uh, well, I think it is. Or whether it's um, that they... Or whether it's patronising, but I, I, for example, Paddy Ashdown, God rest his soul, I heard him on any questions that you were on, and you gave an absolutely brilliantly articulate speech, something along the lines of what you've been saying, and then it was Paddy Ashdown, and he said, "Can I first say how honoured I am to be on a platform with Caroline Lucas, the finest parliamentarian? Really, what's such a credit? Clap, 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 clap." And I thought, is there a you know, <laughs> Because you know, <laughs> I don't think you'd find many absurd at saying that. When your job is to be a comic <laughs> and to want praise in front of strangers for some <laughs> psychoanalytical reason that is, well, no, goes that, way that, back into my distant childhood, then of course I would think, ooh, Paddy Ashdown likes me. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't often happen, uh, it, and it certainly doesn't happen with conservatives. I, I can, I can. Totally assure your your listeners. So, um, yeah, that, that would be a bit worrying because you, you've got to be. They don't sort of um, go for you as the, the, in the same way as they would. I think it's. I, I think, think it's they do. To you. Do they? They might go mm. to the ideas and stuff, but they don't. They don't have the same visceral anger that they would for. I don't know. I think there's some sexism going on here too. You know, I think a lot of it right. manifests itself in just. You know, absolutely dripping, patronising right, right. crap, to be honest. So, so there is an awful lot of, may I just gently point out to the Honourable Lady that, oh, you know, where right, you just yes. kind of want to do yeah. something violent. I'll tell you what, yeah. I'll tell you what, don't don't you worry yourself about the exactly. oil Exactly, we've got it sorted. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, sweetheart, instead of worrying about fossil fuels, here's 20 notes, get yourself down to market, get you something nice. Exactly. <laughs> um, I think that, now, uh, at the risk of sounding, you know, ridiculous, stretching this, but figures on the, if you were to sort of think of the, the figures of the left, say, in my lifetime in this country, a lot of them have been people who, whatever, however politically magnificent they may have been at certain points, which you can or maybe do or don't agree with that, or, or not even magnificent, but people who have been the prominent figures as icons of the left. Scargill, Galloway at one point, however crazy, you know, he's very much part of this podcast. 
These, uh, and Derek Catton, right? Uh, I'm sort of thinking of someone, Tommy Sheridan. They're people who have been, uh, uh, they've had, they've risen up at, at points and then crashed largely because personally they have been, should we say, deeply flawed. <laughs> really, you know, I'm not one to judge, but, and, and I, so I think you're one of the one of the few people that's been on uh, that's been on the left. Do you, I think wins people over on a sort of personal level? Tony Ben was another um, because people think, oh, I, I trust I trust you, and then you're not then subsequently found to have been driven by ego and you know well, I think I'm, I'm very happy to be put in the same uh, even in the same sentence unless it does Benson. turn out unless you know, well I know <laughs> I know this could be <laughs> the end of a very nice conversation you actually own you actually own a gold mine in South Africa <laughs> <laughs> but there and, and it certainly has but certainly women on on the left I mean internationally like uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez and yeah. Cinder Ahern and people like that have been the sort of, um, they've been the most powerful figures globally on the left in the last, I suppose you could say Bernie Sanders, but over the last 20 years or so. It has been women largely, isn't it? Yeah, no, I think that's right. And it's really exciting. And lots of, you know, young women coming into politics now. I, I, I think that's the future. That's really, really exciting. Yeah, I'm starting to think the radical feminist might have a point. <laughs> only starting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know what I've got to ask you the most important thing of all. Cricket. Cricket. Now, this is very much part of your your life, isn't it? In an involuntary capacity. I mean, this is my husband who's, who was a professional cricketer and, mm. and is a cricket obsessive. And uh, I can't say I absolutely follow him there. But I have been listening to what's going on with the Ashes and, and he has been trying to explain to me this new tactic that they're doing and it's all really kind of risky and... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, it, yeah. It's quite exciting. Yeah, it's tremendous. It's very... The rest it's of very... the time it bores me silly, I have to say. So if there's a bit oh, of risk right. going on, that's that's good as far oh, as I'm I... I'm to take issue there. No, no. It, well, I, you're very much the baseball of, of politics in many ways. <laughs> Caroline. I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like going out to, um, oh, what's the place called? Bolton. 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 Yeah, 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 and getting arrested. Yeah. yeah. That's very Ben Stokesy. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. That's good. That's good. And I was acquitted, which is a really important. Yeah, so that's the equivalent yeah. of him, of England winning a series in Pakistan. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, and in Parliament, when you were campaigning against page three for the Sun, yeah, I, I had a wonderful time when uh, the, the chair was trying to um, get me to cover up my T-shirt that said no more page three. And I was trying to show him page three saying, do you really think this T-shirt is worse than page three, which is present all over this parliamentary estate? And it was quite fun to watch him get very, very worked up about it. One last question. So I remember, I, I, when I read your book, this really <laughs> made me laugh that there was a point at which, sort of having said that they haven't attacked you quite as much as, a, as they would with other people, but that actually I'm going to contradict myself here. There was a point at which they, they said, uh, oh, lefty green Caroline Lucas uh, owns four different houses. Oh, God, can I put this to bed once and for all, please? Because the local paper, the Argus, still allows people to keep saying this stuff. 
We own one house and actually the bank owns quite a bit of that. So no four houses, but it is maddening. But they've added up all the houses of your life. <laughs> There's this idea that you don't actually sell one before you get another one, that you just accumulate them. Um, yeah, really odd. I do remember That's doing what... a similar thing with Corbyn when they added up all the money that he'd earned over the 30 years as an MP and it was like a billion <laughs> pounds a week. You could say about anyone, bu- oh yeah, he says he's a bus driver. He's actually £900,000 over his forty seven years as the stagecoach. Carla, it's been an absolute pleasure and an honour to sit with you in a cafe. No, well, I've loved it. Thank you. People of Brighton. Thanks so much. And um, yeah, yeah, I look forward to all the scandals. <laughs> Watch the space. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this special Brightonian edition of my podcast. If you've liked it, rate it. And if you can be bothered, write a review. If you can't be bothered, definitely right of you if this one doesn't receive a huge chunk of scurrilous filthy reviews i should be so disappointed if there is anything at all that you think i should be finding out what the fuck is going on with it please send me a message on twitter at wtf is going on pod and we will look at every message that you send if you would like to become a wtf supporter and get early access to ad free extended versions for as little as two pounds a month please visit our patreon page what the fuck is going on? Was hosted by me, Mark Steele, with my guest Caroline Lucas. The music was by Willie Dowling. It was produced by Pete Sinclair and Mike Benwill at Carousel Studios. What the fuck is going on was brought to you by WTF Productions. 